Well, we'll just jump into this next panel. Uh, I'm just going to hand it over to John Lampko, who's moderating this, and he's going to take it from there. So I have surrounding me three experts who probably, like me, have heard 100 pitches from blockchain companies over the last year or so. And just in the preparation, while we were getting Mike, we agreed that we're going to be issuing you all Gilcoin and Flowcoin. And, you know, and Casecoin. Casecoin. And it'll all be great. <laughs> And so I'm just going to start off with a few quick comments and then I'm going to open up to these folks. So as I listen to the pitches, I often hear stuff like this. You know, we got your Fitbit, Fred. It's going to generate 3 million transactions a day and we're going to put them all on the chain. Yeah. And of course, you guys are a sophisticated audience, so you know that if you just look up the total worldwide transaction speed of Bitcoin today, it's four transactions a second worldwide today. Not sure how your Fitbit data is going to go there for, I don't know, one person, let alone seven billion. So that's sort of big problem one. You know, and then, you know, you often hear, oh, how many Bitcoin engineers or, I mean, how many blockchain engineers do you have? Well, we, you know, we got some part-time people, but we do have five salespeople who will sell you, you know, the, the products. So, so that's sort of a, a, a worrisome thing. Now, one of the things that I've heard that's kind of odd, if you look at the SEC regulations around initial coin offerings, you would probably suggest that in 2018, you just don't want to do one. Um, but some people say, oh, no problem. We'll just incorporate in the Caymans and then it'll solve all our SEC problems. Probably no. Um, you know, what is the product really and why do you need blockchain? Because as I think we've heard at the conference so far, you can solve many, many problems with databases and simple technologies, simple APIs. So, so really, do you need it? And then, oh, I love this one. The 85-year-old who's going to get a token, because it's so easy, will pay for our valued service. Okay, that's a big red flag. Yeah. And then, of course, inevitably, it's a funding model with some sort of cryptocurrency or ICO. And obviously, we all remember that blockchain and cryptocurrency are not equivalent. And then how many times have I heard a pitch where they say, oh, you seem interested in my product. Let's do a press release. Let's do a collaboration agreement. It's like, there's nothing there yet. You know, and finally, my favorite is the present future tense, which a number of us were just judging uh, some competitions. And I couldn't quite figure out for some of those presentations, were they speaking, I will have a product that does, or I do have a product that will. It's like, well, either you have a product that does, or you will have a product that will. You can't have both. <laughs> but let me open up to our panelists, and please, you know, one minute of introduction for each of you, and then give me your experiences listening to these pitches. <laughs> My name is Kees Hesp, I'm from Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Uh, I run an innovation lab for a uh, NGO that tries to uh, increase access to healthcare in Africa. And we are looking at blockchain uh, uh, concepts, uh, particularly smart contracts, where you know, if you, the worldwide, the, the amount of money spent on development is uh, getting less, so we have to be more uh, efficient and effective. And if you can do micropayments, to trigger doctors and nurses to do the right thing following a medical protocol. That's what we, what we are aiming for. Um, I, I, uh, I like this, um, the 10 points really very much. It reminds me of the you know, late 90s, uh, early 2000s, when people were you know, uh, putting up web stores to sell dog biscuits. And, and they would have a big plan. And 
Uh, they had no clue, you know, who their who their uh, customers were, what they were going to pay. They had like two staff who could do HTML. Uh, probably with Word or some other, I can't right. remember the thing that they had. Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver. That, Dreamweaver. Was, that yeah. was the thing. Um, <clears throat> so it looked uh, fancy on screen, but there was no product. It was just a, a PowerPoint with the big words. Right. Okay, so I'm Florence Hudson, and I am on the editorial board for Blockchain and Healthcare today. And I also am one of the co-founders of Blockchain and Healthcare Global. Uh, we do a lot of things together. And I'm also on uh, a special advisor for the Northeast Big Data Innovation Hub here at Columbia University. So I work a lot with data and blockchain and, and cybersecurity, a number of areas like that. And what I find is that they're just so excited. They're like a bunch of puppies, you know, and, you know, they're like, oh, yes, and it's going to be so great. I'm like, well, what is it today? And then as they start getting real about it and you kind of keep their feet to the fire a little more if you stay in touch with them longitudinally, like if they say, oh, will you be on my advisory board? I'm like, okay, well, show me the facts. You know, and then you stay in touch with them and you guide them through it. As it becomes reality, it changes, right? Because there's what they really can do. And so that's actually when they're starting to get real, you know, when, when they can actually focus it and then start with something. The other thing, as you were saying, is that they say all this data is going to be on the blockchain. And I say, okay, okay, well, let's think about this. So the whole thing is going to be on the blockchain. So if blockchain is used in a smart city, does that mean the cars are hanging off the blockchain? So you're going to carry this blockchain around with you with medical devices on it and everything? No, of course not. And not all the data can be there either, right? So it's just you know metadata, data about data. And that's really the best way to think about it. And when they, when they can't be clear about that, it's a problem because uh, they don't really understand how it works. And they don't understand some of the regulatory issues like we've been talking about GDPR and the right to be forgotten. Uh-oh, if it's immutable, right. how do I forget that? You know, well, if, if it's just metadata, maybe that's okay. Maybe there's no, you know, personally identifiable information there. And those are some of the things we have to figure out. And if they're not thinking about that holistically, then I worry that they're going to end up going into regulatory buzzsaws or privacy and litigation buzzsaws or just not, you know, or just do something really irresponsible, which is the last thing we want. And one of the ways we're trying to make sure that doesn't happen is I'm also leading the IEEE Pre-Standards uh, uh, Association Pre-Standards work on clinical IoT data interoperability and blockchain. And what I really like is that we have like adult supervision, we have Medtronic, and we have the FDA, and we have Intel, we have IBM, and you know a number of startups and other folks, and we're really talking through how do you really validate the data? How do you really validate the identity of the device and the human, whether the human is the patient or the human as a provider that's trying to get into a device? How do you really create the right view of interoperability, the data and the devices? And then how do you create a framework that keeps it holistic? And there's this framework we've been working on with IEEE for a few years uh, called TIPS, which stands for Trust, Identity, Privacy, Protection, Safety, and Security. And even when I met, I meet like really smart ones that do the identity stuff, I say, well, how do you trust it? You know, who's the provider who validates the identity? And they say, oh, well, you gain trust over time. I'm like, okay, wrong answer. <laughs> you know, because right. you have to know the trust right away before you let them into your device. So even the smart ones who are technical, who've built businesses before, fall on some of these things. So we really have to be the adult supervision until everyone grows up, I think. All very well said. 
Mr. Gill. All right. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Gil Altorovitz, a faculty over at Harvard Medical School. Um, I've been involved in a number of aspects related to blockchain and uh, involved in the, uh, there's a journal on, on blockchain and healthcare as well. Uh, just came actually, a couple of us just came over from judging the Ignite competition and uh, saw a few, uh, you know, a few uh, finalists and good entries there, but I uh, wanted to give a little bit of insight into some of the different pitches and kind of uh, what to, to think about. Um, so I think uh, being last, the number of them have already been covered, which is great. So, but I'll emphasize a couple and a couple aspects. I think uh, the, one of the big things kind of comes down into that people kind of see, they, they see this new tool, blockchain, coming out and it's kind of like a, uh, a hammer looking for a nail. So uh, they are trying to see if they could maybe leverage this hammer and they're looking for nails, but that may not be the ideal use of, you know, it may be better to think of it from your use case in the beginning. Um, and then once you have the use case, is it a, a plastic nail? You know, well, then the hammer's gonna break your nail. That's not a very good way to do it, right? Um, and so think about the use case you're trying to solve and then, uh, then think about the tools that could build on it. As was said, maybe that uh, a distributed or other type of database technology may be useful. Um, it, it may be that blockchain is useful, but it, it will be derived from the underlying use case. Um, and then the next thing is when you're selecting whatever technologies, and this kind of alludes to one of the things that was said, is you, you kind of need to have the technical talent at the beginning. Um, because maybe, because one of the errors essentially is, you know, people are maybe picking the wrong technology at the beginning because they don't have that technical talent at the beginning. So if you pick even the wrong technology at the beginning, then it's it's much harder to pivot and to make a change. Uh, so if you have the te technical talent early, you can pick the right technologies to support your use case and then once you have the technology let's say it is blockchain you can make sure that you can uh, get specialized technical talent um, so that you can uh, have answers to those questions because I think in, in the beginning it was much more it was not uh, it was more understandable if you didn't have the answers to the questions like why blockchain uh, what kind of data are you putting up there is it public private how are you going to deal with security but now it's becoming the expectations are going up and so to keep up with those expectations it'd be great to have that talent, uh, talent uh, technical talent at the beginning. So all well said. So I think what we've heard from all three panelists is you need a real use case. You need a real business requirement, and the technology will flow from there. And so right before this panel, I was on the phone with Philips in Amsterdam and talking to Mark Hennessy. Now, you may have seen the press release about Philips getting into the, the blockchain realm, and I said, so Mark, Tell me, what's, what's the real business case? What is it you're doing and why? And he said, it was very simple. And he said, I could share with the audience. There's no NDA here. He said, we often can exchange data within our organizations or among our friends and family, except the MGH and the Beth Israel Deaconess. That's never going to work. Uh, MGH, and if you didn't know, stands for Man's Greatest Hospital. Uh, no, 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 Mass General Hospital, sorry. Uh, <laughs> The uh, problem is one of cross-organizational trust. And so what Phillips said is we are going to work on that problem. It's cross-organizational trust. And you say, oh, okay, well, if the narrow use for blockchain is of that ilk, you know, what was the consent gathered or what was the data approved to go and where did it go and how was it used, that would be actually an interesting business requirement appropriate use of blockchain. And so often we hear startups that, as you say, start with blockchain and then derive a set of requirements and a business model thereafter. 
Well, comments you guys would make, you know, any reaction to the Phillips concept? You're a European guy. <laughs> GDPR. Um, well, my father used to work for Phillips, and everything in our home was from Phillips, you know, even the toilet seat. Aha! Uh -huh. <laughs> but was it on the chain? <laughs> it had a chain. <laughs> now, I, I think um, the, the examples where, so I was talking to the, the CIO of uh, Volpac. It's a Dutch company, 400 years old. They were founded in 1616. And they have, uh, in, in 60, ports around the world, they, they stock whatever the, their customer wants to stock. It could be oil, it could be anything. And they have to prove that you know certain things happened in a certain order, that the documentation was okay. And they are now firm believers in, um, in blockchain because they are solving this intercompany trust thing. And also he said, for instance, that once they knew what they wanted, uh, it was built in six weeks. So he said, you know, don't let yourself be fooled by the by the vendor or, or whoever that it, you know it's uh, complex and difficult and blah blah blah. You know, it's six weeks for a, a multi-billion-dollar company uh, doing this work for 400 years. So they they know what they are entrusting to the chain because it's really part of their their core business. And it's a very practical application of it. Yeah. And so another example of that, like, is in trade and transport. So I was at a, a cross-border economic forum between us and Canada, which was very interesting politically, as you can imagine, but we agreed not to talk politics. But uh, we were, I was seated with a couple of longshoremen, real longshoremen, and, you know, saying, you know, are there short shoremen? I didn't understand where the word came from. <laughs> we were talking a little bit. And we were talking about blockchain, these longshoremen, right? Um, and they were saying that, you know, when you're out on the dock and these ships are coming by and the wind is blowing, you have all this paperwork and you're trying to keep track of all this data, it's really very difficult. And they actually saw the value in this technology, which is great. And that's a very practical application, right? And then if you look at, um, as an example, Maersk is part of a large consortium now. I think it's called uh, Trade Lens or something. IBM is in on it too. I think there are 90 or 100 different institutions, including customs authorities, transportation, you know, docks, all these different places, a very practical ecosystem that actually is using blockchain. I think they've done 154 million transactions or something on it. Now that's reality. And in a situation like that, you know, security and trust is very important, a certain level of it. Um, you don't have to, any IT architect looks at the way Bitcoin is architected and say, what are you, crazy? You know, it's just ridiculous. They need 10 minutes to do this proof of work. Absolutely. You can't, the healthcare, that's not going to work. You don't have 10 minutes to make sure that the insulin pump knows the right answer from the glucose right. meter. So you can architect it much more efficiently, but then you have to get really specific when you get into healthcare around the privacy issues and the security issues. You know, because if there's misinformation in shipping, it's one thing. If there's misinformation in medical information, when right. that's, that's much different. Mm -hmm. You know, you could kill somebody. Um, which is really bad. And so that's when we have to be careful. Like I like to ask, so what consensus algorithm are you using? And if it's 51% right. uh, you know, of the people can be in collusion or the nodes can be in collusion, then they can change the data. That's not good, <laughs> you know, that would be true. in healthcare. And so if they can't answer that question, that it's really immutable versus basically immutable, I'm an aerospace engineer. So as I say, when they say, well, the plane fly, there's exactly one good answer. 
basically. Three letters, starts with a Y, ends with an S. Well, will the plane fly, basically? Are you going to get on that plane? No way. I and care more about the landing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's okay, but if it keeps flying. So, but that's why we have to make sure it's it's immutable, not just basically, especially for um, the more, you know, intense transactions like in healthcare and transportation. Florence highlighted an interesting quandary we have. So this is a public ledger, let's say. It's readable by all, it's immutable. So GDPR, right to be forgotten, that's an issue. But let, let's talk about it for healthcare for a minute, because this can get interesting. So Fred, I'm gonna make this up, so you're not allowed to quote me on it. <laughs> so Gil, you know, being a CIO is very depressing. I need to spend a month at uh, McLean Psychiatric Hospital on vacation. Oh, did I mention my substance abuse treatment? Oh, and my sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> well, imagine that all we put on the blockchain was metadata. Nothing about my medical record. It just said, I have a relationship with McLean Psychiatric Hospital, Fenway HIV Clinic, and Betty Ford Substance Abuse Rehabilitation <laughs> Center. But there's nothing about my data. <laughs> See, it's all made up. <laughs> and so the challenge I think we, we think about is exactly as you guys have been talking about it. Not only do you need to store not PHI or not data itself, but there has to be controls as to who can read the metadata. And so you can imagine a smart contract that says, well, I, the patient, will say, my doctor, the clinical trials people, or something that I think is societal benefit can access my metadata, otherwise, no. But as a physician, you know, any, any comments you'd make? Uh, well, as a kind of a, as a researcher also, I would say that uh, there's a lot of different, when people say the blockchain, sometimes you have to ask them, what do they mean? Because mm -hmm. I, I ask them, you said you're going to put on the blockchain, what do you, where is it? They're, oh, the chain, you know, the chain, like, as if like, you know, there's like, there's one, 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 yeah. one of these items. So I would say you have to think about two things. First of all, which chain are they talking about? Because they're kind of very different, as it could be. Uh, public is it mean private is it um, and then the second thing is also kind of how it's implemented and that was kind of uh, you know a little bit it was about that so how is it implemented in terms of um, you know when when blocks are completed and, and how the algorithm is structured around that and, and what are the incentives for the different miners if that's used um, and then the final one is kind of like how it's actually deployed in use and that's kind of gets around into some of these items here, like are you going to be putting metadata, are you going to use this kind of security feature around it. Um, so those are kind of a, a few aspects I think you need to really think about once you get into that narrow, more narrow application like healthcare and then starting getting to PHI or identifying information. Um, so I would just have that. Sure. And just two quick comments. So Brian told us this morning that proof of work is not a scalable approach mm -hmm. to blockchain going forward. In fact, I'm sure you guys all know. What is the total electrical consumption of just the Bitcoin blockchain in October of 2018? It's equivalent to the power output of Ireland, right? It's just not small country. a good idea. <laughs> small country, but you get my point, you know? Yeah. If you'd say, oh, well, we're going to, you know, scale this a thousand times. Okay, well, that's just not good. <laughs> it can be architected much more elegantly than that, and that's part of what has to be done. 
So you're absolutely right. So you should ask those questions too. So, so exactly how are you going to architect this? You know, beyond the consensus algorithms, how do you really need proof of work? So you can have a private blockchain, a private permission blockchain. We're talking about that for clinical trials, right? So you would have a private permission blockchain for the pharmas and you know the providers and the payers, the FDA, you know, who needs to be in on this to make sure it's ready. And then maybe connect like the Olympic rings, you know, in a hybrid blockchain to a public blockchain where you go out and maybe connect to China because they have so many people, find more people to participate in clinical trials. And so then you marry the two together, but that might be a permissionless one. So patient advocates can get that and then share it on a blockchain with the patients that they work with, right? Sure. And so you can have this cascading effect, but you're making sure mm -hmm. that what you want to stay permissioned is permissioned. Um, and that could be with a different, a different type of consensus mechanism where you all know each other and trust each other. You still have to watch out for insider threats just like in any cybersecurity situation, but it actually chains the changes the mechanisms and creates this chain of chains like you were talking about, Gil. You know, it's not one chain. Well, I think people think about Bitcoin, so it's one big chain, which is part of the problem. That's why it takes so long. So, but you can have this chain of chains and make sure that you're keeping things secure while they're working together. Great. Well, I know we have just a couple of minutes left, but let me just open it up to you folks. I mean, you, some of you are startups. Some of you listen to pitches. Are there, uh, are we right? Are there things you would tell us or questions you would have of us based on your experience? Don't be shy. See, I'm trying to keep everybody awake. It's after yeah, lunch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, Jumping Jack's next. So. Yeah. Wow. We take questions and Yes, answers. yes, yeah. go ahead. No, I keep hearing this at most blockchain conferences that people don't really understand where and why a blockchain should be used. Yeah. And I respect that. But I just wonder with your experience, is that a fact or is that an observation of the years past and are you still seeing that happening? Because when I'm talking to, say, my peers and I'm a startup in the blockchain environment, mm -hmm. uh, that's literally something that I've not heard uh, with, with people. It obviously might be an observer bias for sort of people I interact with, but I'm just curious whether you're still seeing that plethora of startups coming saying we're in the wrong space at the wrong time and have no clue of what they want to do. So I'll say something quickly. Sure. So okay. what I find is, uh, like at that economic forum, I had some of the big um, car manufacturers from Detroit that came, and one that is just over the, you know, over the border. And so in traditional businesses like that, where they're used to this hierarchical database, you know, and they might have distributed databases, but they have essential authority, they're like, now why would I use this again, you know, when I work with my suppliers already? So I find that in the traditional environments, it's a little trickier for them because they've been told what to do, and there's, there's a certain way to do things, um, and they're not really sure, you know, when and how they should use it. So I usually present about that. But then I think also there are startups looking for the blockchain, you know, um, like you do congratulations on Facebook, bing, you know, my husband always yells because, you know, all the alarms go off and the confetti goes up on my little phone and stuff. You know, and that's what they want sometimes out of the blockchain. And so that's why, you know, as everyone's saying, you have to ask the hard questions and say, so why do you need this and how are you going to deploy it and how is it going to be secure? And what's your consensus algorithm and, you know, who are the players? Do you have an ecosystem? And how do they work together? Is part of, part of it private, part of it public? Why? 
So, so I think you just need to make sure it's not just for the panache. There was actually, what was it, like an iced tea company or something on Long Island? Long Island, right? blockchain and iced tea. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah they, Long Island iced tea became blockchain iced tea or something like that, and their, you know, and their, their value went way up. Seriously? So that's what we're looking out for, you know, to make sure it's not just arm waving. And to your point, as I travel the world, I hear more and more practical statements about the use of blockchain. So when I was talking to Philips a few minutes ago, they said, you know, we could imagine Imagine a relational technology backed by a blockchain service that every hundred thousandth transaction enforces integrity or something like that. As opposed to if this would have been a year or two ago, they would say, oh yeah, we're going to write everything to the chain and we're going to query the chain. Like, really? <laughs> so people are learning. And they're also, uh, some of them don't want to use the term blockchain anymore because of this, like, buja buja, you know, people wave their hands. So in this pre-standards work that we have with IoT, a clinical IoT and blockchain, they don't even want to say clinical IoT, but they prefer saying distributed ledger technology because they say blockchain is how we think of it today, but it's kind of like Kleenex when you want tissue, give me a Kleenex, but it's not really a Kleenex. You know, and so eventually the, the, their point is that the technology is distributed digital ledger technology. That's right. what the technology is. Blockchain is this term we have right now. And so actually it could be that in our standards recommendation, blockchain is an alias, but the technology is actually distributed digital ledger technology. Right. Yeah. So I think we'll say, uh, yes, one last question. Go ahead. Up until now, I've heard the term distributed ledger SQL or blockchain SQL. We kind of, this last session, we really used the plural term of it. Yeah. So as our company is considering getting into distributed ledger, you know, our concern is going to be so many out there that why would someone work with us? You, know, you mentioned who are the players, right? So as a small maybe startup, how would you help us determine you know, how to convince some of our, um, our, our players are people who want to work with help join our ledger versus So I think what you should do is use a basic business design, like in uh, Mercer Management Consultings, which business design has five elements. Who are your target clients? What is your specific value proposition for that target client? And it could be you say, well, payer, payers, what's the, you know, what's the value prop for them? Providers, what's the value prop for them? It's going to be different, right? So it's a specific value prop for the target market segment. Um, the scope of what you're going to do, your ecosystem, how you're going to monetize it, SAS, blankety blankety, what your sustainable value add is, which is what they have to buy into. The reason you're going to want to stay with us for a long time is because this is what we do today and this is what we're going to do, and that's a sustainable value add, and then how you actually capture value. Very basic business design, I would say, and then you can clearly communicate the value proposition today and longitudinally. And one thing I would just add to that, so I trained in at MIT in course six, the ECS program, and my professors taught me about abstraction layers, <laughs> which is don't say we're going to go build a product on Ethereum. Yeah. What you're going to say is I'm going to build a product and it will have a middleware layer that talks to a distributed ledger technology behind it. And today it could be Ethereum, tomorrow it could be Hyperledger, right? I mean, it is such that you are making yourself future proof by building these layers and allow components to be brought in and out. Very wisely said and extensible for the technologies mm -hmm. we haven't imagined yet. Right. Well, I think we are out of time, but I think we'll, we may hang out for a couple of minutes before yeah, the next session. But I want great. to thank everybody. And thank you. Great talk. Thanks so Thanks much. Everyone.